The Apostle Paul writes, and this is God's word, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it, Psalm 68, says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Let's pause there a moment. Let me explain a little bit as we go through. So when it says, when he ascended on high, Paul is using Psalm 68 and understanding it to be a messianic psalm. It spoke of the Lord Jesus and his ascension. That's when he ascended on high to be seated at the right hand of the Father. And when he did that, the text says, he led a host of captives. Now, commentators, responsible ones, don't agree on who those captives are. Some say it's all the forces of evil, it's the devil, it's demons, it's sin. Those are the captives that he took captive, and that may be. And other responsible, good commentators say, no, I think it's rather us, we who believe on the Lord Jesus. We're his captives. He caused us to bow the knee and confess he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Either way, I like the second one more, but I'm not sure which one is true. Maybe it's all the above. But wanted you to understand that. This is about Jesus Christ going up to the right hand of the Father. He had captives and he gave gifts to men. That's important for what Paul's going to teach in this passage. He gave gifts to men. Now Paul gives us a little parenthetical statement explaining why and how he's using Psalm 68 of Jesus Christ. And he says, in saying, in Psalm 68, he ascended, back to Paul, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. In other words, for Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to ascend, well, he first had to come down. He first had to descend. So he came down in the incarnation, and he went up for his exaltation. Paul goes on, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things, which is mind boggling and gives me goosebumps. So there's our passage. We're looking specifically at verse seven today. Let's bow and pray our way into it. Father in heaven, thank you for bringing us together into this assembly that we may lift our voices together and make known your name. We pray that every person here and those with us online would know you, would know you through Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ would be their Lord, their God, their Savior, that they would find eternal life in him and the forgiveness of all their sins. And we, your people, redeemed by the blood of Christ, pray that you would speak in power, in Holy Spirit power, to us as we feast our souls upon your word today. Shape us, mold us, make us the people and make us the church that you want us to be. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're looking at verse seven today, so I'll read it for you again. There it is on the screen. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So the first six verses of the chapter were about our unity. We are one, 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 all, 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 all. Now he turns to our diversity. We, we are we have grace given to each one of us according to the measure, varying measures, there's diversity of Christ's gift. Some general comments. Here's where we're going. So this verse and this sermon, they are about spiritual gifts. What is a spiritual gift? When you become a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, when you become a new creature in Christ, one of the many things he gives you, one of the many things he does for you is he gives you gifts. What are these gifts? They are God-given abilities 
and inclinations and interests in serving for the good of the body of Christ. He gives you those gifts. If you're in Christ, you are uniquely gifted by him, you are uniquely equipped by him for service in the body of Christ. Now, the, the body of Christ is bigger than just who's in this room right now. Your service might be out there, but your service might also be in here and bless all the above. But that's what this is about, and this is the way God designed the body. It is only when every member of the body does its part. He's going to say this in coming verses. Not today, but in coming verses. It's only when every member does its part that the body of Christ is then properly built up in love. In other words, this is not like a football game where you have 65,000 fans in the stands badly in need of exercise and 22 men down on the field badly in need of rest. That's not what this is. Church is not a spectator sport. Church is a body of servants uniquely equipped and gifted by Christ, the head, for serving in the body of Christ. And, and how does it grow? Not just when the paid professionals do their job, not just when the pastors, not just when the staff do their jobs, but when every member does their job. See, we talk about this at staff meeting a lot. We have staff meeting every week, and we talk about this a lot, and again, and again, and again, and again. Our job is not to do all the work of the ministry. No, rather, our job is, a few verses later, Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So we are equippers. We're like the coaches on the team. We're like the teachers in the classroom. You're the ones who do the ministry. Interesting, huh? You're the ones who build up the body of Christ, and it's only when you do that faithfully that the body is built. So, all right, let's look at our text. There it is. Let's, let's draw out the meaning of some of the phrases. You know how we do in Cornerstone. We're going to draw out the meaning of some phrases. So the first phrase, grace, grace was given. So grace was given. Now, what kind of grace is he talking about? You might think, well, that's saving grace. But it's not. Sure, if you're a believer in Christ, saving grace was given. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. But that's not what he's talking about here. When he says grace was given, he's talking about an additional gift. Yes, you've been given the grace to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. But now our risen Savior, ascended, seated at the right hand of the Father with all authority, gives more things to his people, many more kinds of things. But the one in focus here is he gives grace, that is, gifts. God-given abilities he gives to each one of us in varying measures so that by those abilities we can serve and minister and build up the body of Christ. That's the grace given. So that's one of the things Jesus is doing there at the right hand of the Father. Somebody new comes to Christ, he gives them a grace gift. Somebody new comes to Christ, he gives them a grace gift. Later in your life, he might kind of switch gifts. He might give you a different gift. Like, I'll just tell you that when I was young, Steve, uh, I was very interested in theology and Bible and truth and teaching, and I was not the least bit interested in administration or leadership. Not the least. And the churches that I pastored suffered because of that. And other people had to step up. I never thought that would change, but it changed dramatically. And now I am very interested in the leadership and administrative part of the whole thing. Very interested. 
So it may change over time. He's still sovereign. He, may, he doesn't necessarily give you one gift at the moment of your salvation, and that's it. No, things can change. It's multi-shaped and multifaceted. But grace was given. Now, what, what gifts are we talking about here? And a little later in the passage, 4, 11, and 12, he's going to name some. He's going to name apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And they are more, in this context, actually gifts given to the church. Here's an apostle. Here's a prophet. You church get to profit from it. Profit from the prophet. I didn't mean that. Anyway, there, there they are. Uh, but that's, that's not what he's talking about in verse 7. Here he's talking about gifts given to you. So what are those? Well, let's go to four parallel passages, just kind of quickly work our way through them. And there are four gift lists in the New Testament. You'll notice they're not, they're not the same, though there's some overlap. And that, that implies to us that these gifts all taken together might not even paint the whole picture, might not even tell the whole story, or maybe they do. But anyway, let's look at those four lists so we'll know what we're talking about. Grace was given to each one of us. Gifts are given. What are those gifts? Well, we're going to start with the next book in the Bible that we run into, or the first one that talks about this, Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. Here we go. Having gifts that differ. All right, this is diversity. So you have one gift, I have another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So why do you have that gift and not that? Because according to the gift given to you. Why do you have that gift in that measure and not in that measure? According to the amount of the gift given to you. According to the grace given to us. So it's going to be varied throughout the body of Christ, but we're all gifted. And then here comes the verb. Here comes the imperative. Here comes what he wants us to do. Having his gifts, let us use them. There's the verb. There's the imperative. The Spirit of God is speaking to you through the Word of God and saying, you have a gift, you're to be using it. You're to put it into play. It's not a spectator sport. You're to be on the field. You're to be putting that gift into service in the body of Christ, ministering to other believers, building up other believers, strengthening other believers. Well, what, what are some of the gifts you have in mind, Paul? What do you mean? Let us use them. He says, if, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith. When he says our faith, don't let that confuse you. I think he's just saying in proportion to the size of gift he has given you. He's calling that your faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who gives or contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. Why? That's curious. Why does he, I'm interested. Why does he say to the one who leads with zeal? Because you're going to get shot at a lot. Because <laughs> you're going to make decisions that not everybody's going to be happy with. And there's going to be tension and there's going to be conflict. And you're going to have to be good at maneuvering your way around that wisely. So it all comes out for the good of the body in the end. But you have to do it. Don't, don't lose your zeal. Don't be like, oh man, I'm done this. I'm done. I'm so done. I'm tired of being shot at. No, no, no. With zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, there's a gift. Thank God for that gift. Do you love the gift of mercy? Some people think they have the gift of mercy, and every time I'm done talking with them, I go home and cry. I don't think they had the gift of mercy. But the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, why, why that? Why with cheerfulness? Because the temptation might be that, 
rather than sympathizing with them, oh, I, I understand what you're in and I'm gonna help pull you out. Rather that than that, they empathize with you. That is, they get in, emp- they get in it with you. Like, I see you're down in the quicksand. I'm gonna dive in the quicksand with you and we'll just go down together and you'll feel that I feel you. No, not that. Don't let them bring you down. Don't go there and they're all down so you get all down. No, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, go in there and be cheerful. Let the joy of the Lord be your portion. So anyway, there's one of the great gift lists in the New Testament. There's what he's talking about when he says, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Here's another list that's larger, 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11. For to one is given through the spirits, through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom. A guy comes right to my mind. I think every time I ever think of that, I think of one guy who used to be part of this church. He's elsewhere now. And every time he opened his mouth, wisdom just came out. Like if you were dealing with an issue, if you were dealing with a complex thing, what's the best decision here? You'd go talk to him and he would give you wisdom. He was definitely not a theologian. He was definitely not a teacher. But he had wisdom. You were like, where did this guy get such wisdom. There are people like that in the body of Christ. If that's you, start spreading the wisdom, would you? Yeah. And to another, the utterance of knowledge. Just as much as he had wisdom, they have knowledge. They're really good at accumulating Bible facts and Bible truth and theology systematically according to the same spirit. And to another, faith. Things look rough, but they believe God has a way out of this. They believe the Lord is still sovereign, and they help you believe that and trust him. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. And by the way, this is not my purpose today to comment on whether all those gifts continue or not. Some of you think they do. Some of you think they don't. You're all welcome here. We don't fight over that. So anyway... All these are empowered. So if you're a member of the body of Christ, washed by the blood of the Lamb, made new by the regenerating work of the Spirit of God, he's put a gift in you that is now empowered by the Holy Spirit, by one and the same Spirit. So there's unity, but there's diversity. Who apportions to each one individually as he wills. We'll come back to that phrase later. Let's go to our next gift list. 1 Corinthians 12, a little later in the same chapter, verse 28. And God has appointed in the church first, and these are ordinal numbers, meaning most importantly, the apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. So there's gifts, another gift list in the New Testament. The fourth and final one is 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. And I love the way Peter just gives us two broad categories into which all gifts fit. And he says, 1 Peter 4, 10, as each has received a gift, here's his verb, use it to serve one another. So you should be using your God-given spiritual gifts to serve one another in the body of Christ. This is how the body grows. Again, it's not, it's not when the paid professionals do their job. It's not that we have staff. They'll do it. They'll do all the ministry. No, their job is to employ you. Their job is to recruit you and motivate you and train you, and they know it. We talk about this. That's their job. Sure, they have to do some things, but the main thing they need to do is, is build teams of volunteers who are ready to serve. 
So use it to serve one another. And some, some of that's done very personally and one-to-one. You might be talking to someone in the lobby after church. They need mercy, and you give it to them. Their life is a disorganized mess, and you administrate them, and you organize them. So it may be a very personal thing done any day of the week, or it may be in a formal, structured ministry of the church. Use it to serve one another. Note this, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Wow, that's a great statement. We're to be good stewards. What's a steward do? A steward receives something from another and handles it well. You take possession of what belongs to another and you take good care of it and you treat it right. And if it's a, if it's a talent, you make gain from that talent. We, we're just stewards. I'm a steward. You're a steward of a gift Jesus Christ, your sovereign, has given to you. Now he's counting on you to put it into play. He's counting on you to get involved in the body of Christ and minister it to other, other believers. So use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. His varied grace, his varied grace. There's so much diversity in how this works. There's so much variation in how this works. I think of a kaleidoscope. You look through a kaleidoscope and you turn it and what happens? Everything changes and it all colors fall in upon colors and it's constantly changing and you never see two screens that look alike. And that's just an illustration of God's varied grace. There's all kinds of different sizes and shapes in the body of Christ. And so he says, he goes on to say, let me give you some examples. And he has two broad categories. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. So the ones who speak are those who teach and those who exhort and maybe even those who show mercy and other gifts may be speaking gifts. Or then the not-so-speaking gifts, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Hey, you get the point. You have either speaking gifts or serving gifts, and he wants you to put them into play to build up the church of Jesus Christ. He wants you engaged. He wants you serving. Am I making that clear enough? Should I say it 10 more times? Does that make it any more clear? No. All right, thank you. I need that coaching sometimes. Now let's go back to Ephesians 4, 7 and import it with us. But grace was given. Those are not salvation grace gifts in view there. Those are spiritual gifts for service. But grace was given. That's the grace, those gifts. Next phrase. To each one of us. To each. So there's no weaseling out. There's no like, well, the Lord overlooked me and I didn't get a gift. So I'll just go home and watch Netflix all week. No, there's there's no getting out of this. To each. Are, Are you saved by grace? Are you a member of the body of Christ? Has Christ shed blood washed you? Are you by one spirit baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, bond or free, slave or Slavery-free, I got it. You got it. Are you? Uh, listen to 1 Corinthians 12, 7. It's not up there. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Your gift is not for you. Oh, I'm feeling a little blue today, but I have the gift of mercy. I'm going to show myself mercy. I want to be a teacher. I'm going to teach myself. I'll look in the mirror and teach myself. I have the gift of giving. I'll take it out of this pocket. I'll put it back in that pocket. No, it's not for yourself. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for the benefit. They are to benefit from, they are to get good from the exercise of your gift in the body of Christ. Each, 
Nobody left out. Nobody overlooked. Maybe you only got, you know, it's according to a measure. Maybe you only got a little thimble full of a gift measured out to you. And you say, well, it doesn't even matter. Nobody even notices me. No, each. There are no vestigial organs in the body of Christ. And then he says next, according to the measure of Christ's gift. The word measure is a cool Greek word. It's metron, from which we get measure. Like, you're, you're familiar with a metronome? The little thing that goes tick, tick, tick. So you learn to play piano on, on time, or you learn to play drums on time. You have a little, it's measuring time. Well, there's a measure of Christ's gift. So let's say he's given you the gift of mercy, and what he did with you is he got his measuring cup and he dipped it into his mercy bucket and he poured the whole cup out on you. And man, you are really merciful. Somebody else, he gave the gift of mercy and he got his measuring cup and he only filled it a quarter of the way. And he poured it out on them and they're a quarter of the way merciful. But they both have the gift of mercy, but it's measured differently. So he gives it out, whichever gift he wants to give to you, and it's according to the measure of that gift that he wants to give to you. So there are different gifts and different measures of each gift. So one person has the gift of administration, and they're pretty good at organizing a few things, but another person has the gift of administration. And well, let me just tell you about one who's on our staff and they have the gift of administration. And I've asked them, does this, like, does this show up in your closet? And they said to me, oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I have things grouped according to seasons and within seasons they're grouped according to colors. How many of you have that? I'm just curious. I saw one, two, three or so. All right, okay, interesting, huh? So that might be the cup full. That's, like, that's a big measure of the gift of organization. There are different measures, different measures of teaching abilities, different measures of exhorting abilities, different measures of you speak with wisdom, different measures of you speak with knowledge. So you might have this gift or a number of gifts. We don't really know how many you might have in one body. And there are different measures. I want to press this home a little bit more, so let me show you some parallel passages that point out more about these differing measures of the gifts. So we're going to go to Romans 12, 3. And Paul says, and remember later in 12, he gives a gift list. But he starts it off this way, Romans 12, 3. For by the grace given to me, stop, that's a measure. So Paul's saying there's grace given to you, there's grace given to him, and there's a grace given to me. So by the grace given to me, what was the grace given to Paul? You're an apostle, you're a prophet, you've seen the Lord, you've been caught up to the third heaven, you've received direct revelation, so great that I had to give you a thorn in the flesh to keep you humble. And Paul's saying, I just want you to know, that's why I'm talking. I, I didn't like push my way into this, I want to be an apostle. No, he chose me. He gifted me. So I'm only talking by the grace given to me. I'm not trying to be somebody. I don't need to be Mr. Big. So by that grace, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now we're in the context, it's gonna be a context of spiritual gifts. So don't imagine you're, you're like the best theology teacher on the planet, because we'd probably know it by now if you were. Your, your book would be famous. If you were, don't imagine you're, you're the most amazing teacher, preacher, the most amazing exhorter, the most amazing shower of mercy. They might all go home crying because you didn't even get a quarter of the cup. You don't even have that gift. 
I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Don't think, man, I've got a big dose of that one. No, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And again, don't let the measure of faith phrase fool you. He's not saying if you have more faith, then your teaching will be better. If you have more faith, your administrating will be better. He's calling the measure Christ gave you a measure of faith. So it's, it's varied. It's varied. We see this again in Romans 12, 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, then let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, what he's given to me. So if you're a prophet, you have the gift of prophecy and you're to speak God's word, there are varying measures of that, of the strength of that gift. And you're not to have gift envy. He's sovereign, he's Lord. He determines which gift to give you or not. He determines what its strength will be. You don't say, how come he gets to be John MacArthur and I'm just Steve? Look what happened at his church. From the day he showed up there, it went crazy and it hasn't stopped going crazy for over 50 years. And there's so much the Lord has done. I don't know if there's another church on the planet that compares to all the strength, all the teachers, all the theologians, all the solid stuff that's going on in that church. I literally don't know if there's another church like that on the planet. I wouldn't know where it is. I wouldn't know what it is. I've never heard of it. So, Pastor Steve, don't say, how come I'm not blessed like John MacArthur? Different measures. It's like he gave me a thimble, thimble full, and he gave John MacArthur a tanker ship full, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There's no sense in having gift envy. What's that? That's just an envy. That's jealousy. That's pride. That's personal. That's evil. What matters is what do you hear at the last day? And if he gave you a thimble and you spent your whole thimble for the good of the body of Christ, at the last day, your well done is just as loud as the boatload guy well done. Amen? Amen. So it really doesn't matter. Don't get all caught up with, well, shucks, I only got a thimble. I'm not even going to serve. You get to be like Eeyore, why should I care? Nobody else does. No, no. We care. So there are varieties of these things. Which verse are we in? 1 Corinthians 12? No. Okay, let's go to 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 6. More about this varying levels of the gifts. Now, there are varieties of gifts. There's our kaleidoscope again but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of act. Did you notice three words that got repeated? Or one word got repeated three times? Varieties, varieties, varieties. So not, don't be like, how come I'm not just like them? No, it's varieties. But it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. So you got the exact variety the head of the church intends you to have for the good of the body of Christ. Put it in the motion. Get down on the field. Start carrying the ball to the goal. Or 1 Corinthians 14, 11. Stay with me. Verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So you have the gift of showing mercy, and he gives you 100% full power of that gift. Man, you're like mercy full. By the way, text me if that's you, because I could use a little mercy now, and then I'll know who to text, all right? 
or you, or you have, you know, name the gift. You have the gift of giving and you never have any grocery money because you give it all away. You have such a big dose of it. It's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. He, he apportions to each one individually as he wills. Or one more verse about this, 1 Peter 4, 19. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Here it is, as good stewards of God's very grace. Mention it again, you're a steward. The Holy Spirit has placed a gift in you. He wants you to make gain with it. He wants you to put it in the motion in the body of Christ. You're ministering to people. People are helped because of you. People are growing because of you. People are served because of you. People are ministered to because of you. Be a good steward of God's varied grace. So slide man, give me Ephesians 4, 7 again, please. So here we are. Grace, spiritual gifts, grace gifts, are given to each one of us no vestigial organs in the body of Christ, according to the measure of Christ's gift. He measures out which gift you get or gifts, and he measures out in what strength they come to you. That's what our verse is telling us. All right, you got the verse? So there it is. I mean, we looked at a bunch of passages, and the Bible is really clear. If you say, I'm a believer, you're supposed to be helping build the body of Christ. You're supposed to be serving you're supposed to be plugging in and getting that gift in motion so it's helping other lives. It's helping ministries. It's very clear. So why don't some believers, I mean, a whole lot of you do, a whole lot of you do, why don't some believers? Well, there could be a lot of reasons. I'm going to talk about just three of them. If I leave your reason out, forgive me. I'm not trying to be exhaustive, but let me talk about three of them that might be some of the bigger reasons why people don't always engage. Here's reason number one. Maybe you get a kick out of this. It's because they're a mother with five kids and two in diapers. <laughs> Amen, mothers? I mean, there are seasons in life. That's a rubric for other seasons as well. There are seasons in life where you are overwhelmed with just trying to get to lunchtime. Like, that's your next goal. If I could just make it to lunchtime. And if I could even do the laundry in that stretch, that'd be a bonus. And then once you get to lunchtime, it's like, now if I can just make it till he gets home, and if I can even have dinner ready, that would be a bonus. And you don't get the laundry done and you don't have dinner ready because the day just went insane on you. All right, so, so maybe if you're in a season of life like that, maybe we understand, Okay, you can't be serving in a whole lot of ways right now. Yet, I want to say, I've seen such mothers, I've seen one named Debbie, really, 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 really serve. Can I give you an example? My girl. So I was a pastor at Riverside Bible Church, Riverside, California, 85 to 95. And in that time, we had our four sons, living in our kind of smallish four-bedroom house. And then we had that foster son, special needs boy. And we had that foster son, a special needs boy. And we also had Corey, whose family had blown up. Literally, his parents became crack addicts, lost their job, lost their home. Corey was a buddy of one of our sons. We told Corey, just come live with us, and he did. And then we had Paul come live with us for a while because his mother, a single mom, was struggling and just needed to work on some things in her life for a while. And so at some season in there, Paul lived with us. So you get the idea? Our grocery bill was bigger than our mortgage bill by a lot for years. 
It really was. And Debbie had to tend to all that. So like we had two services on Sundays. I had to go down early. And then she had to bring all that crowd on our nine passenger station wagon, Oldsmobile, old times, down to church. She had to get them all to where they had to go. She had to get them all fed, get them all dressed, get them all washed, get them all ready. And, and some of them with special needs, it was a lot of work. Get them all to their classes, get them all back out of church, get them home again. And then I'd get home a little later. And then the evening, we'd have an evening service and we're all back down to church. She had to do that whole thing again without me because I'm down there early and I'm staying late. And when I came home after the evening service, I brought three or four or five guys every Sunday night with me because we were a study group and we're studying theology and reading John Owen and discussing it and whatever and whatever. And she would make us all meals that we would all eat before that study time. So, all right, I'm cutting you some slack if you're a mother of five with three in diapers, but I'm trying to take back some of that slack and say, look, I've seen a woman who's busy serve. Sila, which means think about that. Another reason maybe why some people don't serve is, let's just put it bluntly, number two, their love might be cold. Your love can grow cold. We know that from Revelation 2.4. Jesus says to the church, you've lost your first love. I have this against you. Well, what kind of love should you have? What should be hot? You remember, and I say this often enough that I hope you do remember it, that when you're saved, Ezekiel 36.26, he gives you a new heart. What do new hearts do? They love new things. What do they love? Well, they love the Lord their God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength, and they love their neighbor as their self, and they love the kingdom of God and the word of God and the things of God and the church of Jesus Christ and the ministry of the gospel. They love, love, love those things. And those people want to serve. Those people are like, plug me in. Where can I be used? I'll do anything. Even if I don't have the gift of mercy, I'll try to show mercy. Let me serve. But there are people who are like, eh, I'm not interested. Eh, I don't want to go there. Maybe their love's grown cold. Could this be a word for you from God's word? Or thirdly, and here it gets even more firm, even more challenging, they might only want to invest in their own little kingdom. Here's what I mean by that. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus' parable of the talents. Let's read it. There it is. For it, the kingdom of God, will be like a man going on a journey. That's the Lord Jesus who's going on a journey up to the throne at the right hand of the Father. Here's what the kingdom will be like. I'll be up there, but before I go up, I'll call my servants, or while I'm up, down through time, I'll call my servants and I'll entrust to them my property. That's a number of different things. It's certainly spiritual gifts. He's entrusting you. You're a steward. He's entrusting you this property. So to one, he gave five talents. That's his measure to that one. And to another, he gave two talents. It's up to him. That's his measure. The two guy can't say, Lord, you're supposed to have equality of outcomes. I should have gotten the five measures like he. This isn't fair. No, none of that. To one he gave five talents, be content, don't question God. To another he gave two, be content. To another one, to each according to his ability, then he went away. Now here's what the servants did. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. Way to go, guy. 
This guy's on fire. This guy's serving in the body of Christ. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. Way to go. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. He didn't get any gain from it. He didn't get busy serving. He didn't minister to anybody. He said, I'm just going to bury this in the ground. I'll have it to give back to him when he returns. So the day of the return comes. We go down to the day of reckoning. And the one group, the five guy and the two guy, they hear, well done. But verse 24, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. I knew if I went out serving with my gift, I'm serving, I'm, I'm planting in your field and you're gonna come and get the crop. It's all gonna be for your kingdom. It's gonna be for your glory. But I'm not interested in that. I want me and me and me and my and my and my. It's my life. I only wanna serve in my life and my house and my family and my kids and my money and my car. Lord, I knew you were a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seeds, so I was afraid. Oh, man, what do I do? He gave me talent, but I don't want to use it. I'm just going to bury it. I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. Well, it kind of despises the gift of God that is in him. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed then you ought to have invested. At least you ought to invest my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own interest. Matthew 25, what's the Lord saying? This applies to various things. It applies to spiritual gifts. The Lord gives you a gift. If he gives you a full cup of that gift, he expects you to serve full cup. If he gives you a little thimble, he expects you to serve a little thimble. And nobody gets to say, I wasn't really interested in your kingdom. I knew you'd get the glory. I know you get the gains. I'm not interested in you getting gains. I'm only interested in me getting gains. But let's be honest. That's why some people sometimes don't serve. Please be that kind of believer who gladly and joyfully and willingly serves the Lord Jesus with your gifts and your talents. Please say something like, Lord, I want to serve. I want to build your church. I want to build your kingdom. Here I am. Take me, use me, however you want. Please, in your heart, say with me the words of this hymn, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Please be like that. So let me tell you a little bit more about Cornerstone Church. A little bit more about Cornerstone Church and our staff. So we have, we have elders and we have staff. The staff works like deacons and deaconesses, really, to relieve the elders of certain things because they don't have time for it all. Most of them don't work here. Most of them have jobs other places. And so we have staff, and staff helps get things done. And at staff, we've talked about this many, many, many times. You're going to hear this again, from, again and again and again from me. And I, I'd like to think that if I wake any one of them up at 2 a.m. and say, give it to me, they'd spit this out. So can you do it, Jason? You want to come up here and do it? 
you would. You'd probably, you would do it. So here's the thing. So we need staff to kind of transition and be less doers and more leaders and recruiters and trainers and motivators of volunteers, teams of volunteers who are the doers. So decreasingly, we hired you to do this thing. Increasingly, we hired you to do this thing. Recruit, train, motivate, empower, get the people serving. So here's our little thing. Here's the first question. What's the first job of a leader? And they answer, the first job of a leader is to know what needs to be done. All right, that's good. What's the second job of a leader? To get someone to do it. Their job is to get someone to do it. Well, if they do it, they're not a leader. They're just a doer. And we all have to do things. We have to do a lot. But we also want to be leaders. So the second job of a leader is to get someone to do it. What's the third job of a leader? To get them to do it with increasing excellence. Well, how do I do that? Well, here's how. And I hope they know all this and would repeat it. You establish a rhythm of meetings at which you train and motivate. You train and motivate. So you have a rhythm of meetings. Maybe you meet with them once a week, once a month, once a quarter, whatever it is. You have a, or all those. You have a rhythm of meetings, and you're always training and motivating. So we're always staff. We're always what? Recruiting and training and motivating and empowering till Jesus comes. Because we're not like... The 22 guys in the field barely in need of rest. We're recruiting everybody in the stands. We need to build teams of volunteers who serve, and that's what our staff is for. Staff is not to make it so you don't have to serve. Staff is to recruit you and equip you and train you and motivate you so your gifts are put into play. Just wanted you to know that. So there's our passage. Let me read it one last time. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for bringing us at this time in our consecutive studies in the book to the Ephesians. Thank you for bringing us to this point where we consider how you have gifted us to serve you and to serve others in the church, in the body of Christ. And we pray that you would stir up the gift of God that is within us, that we would be a people corporately like a busy beehive, lots of worker bees, all of us doing our part, bringing in and building up, some of it in ministries in our church, some of it outside in real life. Lord, stir us up in these things. Please bless us with the church for everybody has their first love, loves their first love, and serves with love in their hearts. For we pray in the name of Jesus.